You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona. It's the 8 o'clock hour. Hour number two of our weekly radio broadcast. Our outdoor living hour. It's the second Saturday of the month. So we're talking trees, and we've got ISA certified arborist John Eisenhower in studio with us, along with a special guest that uh, you've had join you before. Yes, I'm so glad that Sarah Maitland, my good friend and colleague, is able to join me in studio today and talk trees. And, you know, Sarah's one of the the top arborists in the state of Arizona, and I always like to brag on her. She's not only a certified arborist, she's a registered consulting arborist, which is kind of one of the highest designations in our industry, and one of only a couple of registered consulting arborists in the state of Arizona. And we are privileged that she's working for Integrity Savitry, and it's always nice to have her behind the mic. Well, thank uh, get you, John. A little extra added horsepower uh, to our discussion today, because we were talking uh, about uh, some disease issues today uh, that affect a lot of trees and plants across the valley. And I thought, what a, a, a great opportunity to bring Sarah in. She's our, also our plant health care director, and she's uh, um, uh, really has a depth of knowledge about some of these topics that, that go beyond my own. So I'm really glad to uh, have her with us today. So if you want to talk trees or have a tree question, is uh, this hour is for you at one 767 That's one 4348 rosie you You can text questions to 411-923 or send an email to info at rosieonthehouse.com. If you need to snap a picture, you need want a little help with some plant or insect identification, you can send us that image and we'll do the best to get you the answer or the right direction. You know, it, we may not have the right answer, but we'll get you pointed in the right direction. Sure. <laughs> you brought a tree this month? I didn't really bring one. I brought, yeah, brought, yeah our, our tree, of the, tree of the month is the Tacoma Stands. Uh, they are often commonly known as Yellow Bells or Orange Jubilee are the two kind of common varieties we see. And the reason we are featuring this tree this time of year is because you can't drive around Phoenix very far, and you'll see one. You may not know what you're looking at, but they're those trumpet-shaped, large yellow apricot or red-colored flowers that are on a beautiful, dark, uh, glossy, green-leafed plant. And they're generally a, a large shrub or a small tree. Uh, they can grow up to 15 or 20 feet tall, but generally you see them in that kind of you know six to eight-foot range. And, and, and sometimes there are some varieties that are smaller, but... They're such a, a prolific, blooming, flowering plant that if you don't have one in your, in your yard, you ought to think about getting one. They have some amazing qualities. They're really easy to grow. They uh, are, like I said, they, they, they bloom starting in early spring, and they bloom all the way through till fall. So it's not like one of those quick two-week two week bloom cycles and you're done for the year. These, are, these hold a bloom for a lot of the year. We like them a lot. And it's nice to have color during the summer. Absolutely, yeah. No, they're just they're they're really great. And if you uh, like any one of those colors, the yellow, the apricot, or the red, they've got a, a bunch of varieties. Uh, I was talking to Sarah earlier today, and you were mentioning one you like. Yeah, Lydia is my favorite. Um, it's a smaller one, so it kind of tops out at like three to five feet, and it just blooms profusely. And if you look at the throat of it, it's not an orange stripe like most of the Tacomas. It's got a, a white throat. And that's how you identify that that cultivar. But it, it's just more compact and small. 
for areas and doesn't you know need as much trimming or doesn't get out of control. Yeah, I like the little small ones too. In fact, I just bought uh, Sarah and I were at a uh, a trade show uh, several months back, and when the trade show closed down, the some of the nurseries that are there don't want to carry all that plant material back. <laughs> So they're giving away or selling very cheaply some of the plant material. So we saw this beautiful Tacoma, and Sarah and I kind of wrestled over it, and she <laughs> graciously let me take it home. So I planted it, and it's in the backyard now. And it's one of those small ones. It's only about three feet tall, and it's it's really awesome. So and, and remember the name of it? Oh yeah, it, it's yeah. called it's called Sparky. <laughs> because it's yellow and purple after the ASU colors. Oh, so yeah, you, it looks just like oh. ASU colors. So when you go to your local nursery, you can ask for the different colored Tacomas that they have available, but ask them for the cultivar called Sparky if you want one to uh, kind of show off your ASU colors. Being an ASU alum that I am, I think it's only appropriate that I did get that shrub in the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh, I see where this is going. <laughs> Was that the determining factor? I, I can't tell you how many trees and plants at our house are a result of exactly that whether it's a shade conference or actc yeah. i've got four <laughs> red push pistache i've gotten from bernie <laughs> yeah from yeah I, I do events. too i do too <laughs> My, mine came from a, a, a trade show as well no but the tacomas are a, are a, a really cool full sun uh, plant um, they are a little frost sensitive but like a lot of our frost sensitive uh, trees and shrubs here in the valley the cool thing is if you can get them past about two or three years of age, they generally will bounce back from the frost damage. You know, it's the first year or two that's critical. If you get a really hard frost, you can kill them entirely. But generally, if you get them past the first two or three years and they get uh, – they've rooted out into the native soil – even though they might have a little bit of frost damage on the outside, generally they'll bounce back. And it's one of those things. We don't have hard freezes every year, but it's kind of like, mm -hmm. well, you know, washing your car. You wash your car, it's going to rain the next day. <laughs> you, you plant one of these frost-sensitive plants, it's going to be a hard freeze winter. It just <laughs> somehow it works that way. They renovate very well. You can renovate them down to eight inches if you want to, but one-third is good. And when they, she's saying renovate, that she's talking about a radical pruning, and you can cut them back hard every year. And sometimes you have to. Yeah, because even even a mild especially. a mild winter will give a little bit of frost damage on the outside. But these Tacomas are so durable, you can just cut them back heavily in the spring. And uh, and what's nice is they're, they're going to bloom on the current year's growth. So it's, you can pretty much di dictate how high, where you want your bloom to be displayed. Uh, if they're going to put on three feet of growth in a summer, then you know if you cut them down to three feet, you're going to have a bloom at about six feet. You know, by the end of the summer. So well, you can cut them back as far down as you want uh, with the idea that you're going to want that bloom to be about three feet higher. Those plants that can take those heavy renovations, those big chops, you know, as bad as that looks to go down to just your stem, those usually do have then the biggest, most elegant growth that next season. Yeah. Well, you know, what I do on mine, and, and I would recommend this for a lot of larger shrubs. There's a kind of a renovation process that is uh, over a three-year period of time. And what I do is every year I take out the oldest, uh, one-third of the oldest, woodiest stems and cut them back as, as deep into the plant as I can. So I look for the largest, woodiest, tallest stems, and I cut them back down as far to the bottom of the plant as I can. So what I have remaining is the two-thirds of the remaining foliage are all the smaller branches. So the next year I come back and I do the very same thing, take out the, a third of the woodiest, oldest stems. 
So over a three-year period of time, you completely renovated the plant. You never have more than three-year-old wood on your plant at any given time. And that way you kind of keep your tree under control, but the pruning looks natural because you still have all this top growth that's higher. But we talk about that at my pruning classes that I teach. In fact, I'm teaching one tomorrow um, at the Desert Botanical Garden. I'm not sure there's any seats left, <laughs> but if there's not, I'm teaching another class on August 31st. Uh, if you want to go to the DBG website and check that out, if you have an interest in pruning, want to sharpen your skills and how to prune your trees and shrubs, uh, that's a, you can go to dbg.org, dbg.org. And there's a lot of classes to scroll through. So it's not like you go there, you hit events, and it's perfectly obvious. There's a lot going on at the Botanical Gardens. So yeah, that's search right. for John Eisenhower. Yeah, or or pruning class, and it, it should you know direct you to the landscaping um, page, and then you can scroll down and find my class. Kind of a strategic time of year. I mean, that's kind of like pre monsoon prep, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, getting these trees ready for some high wind blasts. That's exactly what we're doing right now. Is doing a lot of pre monsoon uh, trimming of of trees and shrubs. And a way to do that, we in fact, we talk about, you know, what is the most effective type of pruning when we're uh, getting ready for a, some wind that's coming? And we know the winds are right around the corner. Most common response I hear if I ask that question, you know, where, were you, where are you going to do the pruning on this tree or shrub? People always think about trimming, doing what? Opening it up, yeah. Opening it up and thinning out the inside. And that seems to be a, a pretty... Uh, uh, common sense, but it really, it's counterintuitive because it actually, you don't want to be doing that too much and leaving heavy foliage on the outer third of the plant. There needs to be some reduction cuts from the outer third. And that method of, of pruning that I just mentioned to you about cutting the larger branches back and leaving the, the secondary and uh, growth in there, that's actually a better way of, of making the tree safer because you're reducing a lot of the, the, you're doing some thinning, but you're taking out the Heavy weight load. Some of the end weight on the outsides of the of the plant, which is uh, really essential for uh, uh, preventing wind wind damage. You don't want to strip out the inside. No, the the plant needs all those all that foliage um, to dissipate the energy of the wind. It's a something called damping. So if you look at a tree in the wind, it goes in all different directions. All those leaves and branches are all moving together to dissipate energy. And that interior foliage that people want to strip out, it's actually collecting some of the force of the wind and delivering that to, to a, a, lower, a lower spot on the branches. If you leave just the lion tails of heavy foliage out on the ends, those big lion tails capture a lot of the wind, and we end up getting a lot of midline breaks and, and, and blowovers because those, those heavy ends have never been reduced or thinned. So we do a lot, concentrate a lot of our pruning in the outer third, leave the interior. Uh, you can do a little bit of thinning on the interior. Structural. Yeah, some structural pruning, but leave a kind of an even distribution of foliage. Well, when it's done right, it's art. It's, it's tree sculpturing is what it is. And we've got Bruce Stumbo in the studio this morning from Rose on the House Remodeling because I just wasn't sure how long my voice would last and if Romy was going to get back home in time. And he was talking about when he found out you were coming in, y'all just sculpted an entire yard for a home we remodeled into boulders. And the before and after picture of that yard, is, is, it's just jaw-dropping. 
how dramatic and beautiful it is. Well, pruning is an art and a science. We'd like to talk about it as a blend of the two. Uh, quite often, though, people have an artistic objective when they go out into their yard, and that's all they have is that aesthetic objective. And that Guilty. Is, well, Guilty it's, it's right t- here. Guilty. Well, well the, the problem with that is, is is we often have an idea of what we want the trees to look like, but we haven't really um, understood what the tree biology dictates and what is best in the best interest of the health of the tree. So if you bring in the science side of it, just like we talked about with that, that dampening effect that Sarah mentioned and you can begin to make your pruning cuts a little more accurately with reference to the long-term benefits of those of each of those pruning cuts and what it's going to uh, do to the uh, health of the tree. We've got calls lined up and a number of texts. We're going to get to them along with all of our uh, monthly to-dos for our tree calendar here at Rosie on the House. If you'd like to join the conversation, one 767-4348. Julia from Walter Cronkite School ASU Broadcasting is screening for us today. Oh, great. You can uh, send text to 411923 or email at info at house.com. Trees can't speak, but John Eisenhower speaks their language. Talking Trees with Rosie on the House. We're going to bring Frank into the conversation at one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you as we take a call. It's a great opportunity to jump in on the open line. Frank, good morning. Hey, good morning, Rosie. How are you? Good. Talk trees to us. Hey, I got a tangelo tree. I put it in two years ago. This year it had a crop, four tangelo. And I'm wondering, with that use of the tree, what is the maturity where I can get a hundred tangelo? Now, let me just ask this: I see you've got a five two zero area code. Where yep. in Arizona yep. are you? That is the east side, ten thousand east off of, uh, say, Broadway. In Tucson. In Tucson. Well, and how old did you say the tree is now? He's uh, three years old this year. Okay. It's, How big was it when you planted? Oh, he was a little tiny guy, about <laughs> two or three, three feet. foot tall. Yeah, well, three years is, is, is still a youngster, and you, you'll probably um, only your top growth is going to correspond to your root development. So as soon as the roots um, move out of the, the planting medium that, you, that, that the, the tree came with from the nursery, um, they— when they eventually get out into the native soil and that tree starts to get anchored into the native soil and you, you know, are, are irrigating well and, and, and assuming you're going to be fertilizing it, um, once that happens and it gets a nice root development, you'll start to see you know, some per, a profuse top growth in the tree in the next couple of years. You know, given good growing conditions, you know, citrus probably by the time it's about 10 years old will start you know, probably in that 100 fruit uh, range, I would think. You'd probably be six or eight years before you probably see 50 trees. So another three years, and you'll probably be you know, putting on lots more fruit every year. Um, try not to you know, reduce that top growth um, as you start to see those, those branches uh, you know, grow up from the existing canopy. You'll have to just start training it up. It must what be about maybe four feet tall now. Okay, three and a half feet. But mm. are there some do's and don'ts, Rosie? Do water it. Don't water it too much. Uh, don't trim it. Do trim it. 
Um, I wouldn't do any trimming at that age. Um, I would probably take the fruit off because the tree is putting a lot of energy out to produce that fruit that could be going towards um, branch structure and root structure. Yeah, as soon as it's ripe enough to, to, to pick off the tree and enjoy, you, you know, get it off the tree. And um, by this time, you should have some new fruit that the blossoms from la- this, uh, um, this last year are, you know, uh, producing a little a little small fruit now. So, yeah, just the next few years, it should be really good. You know, be sure you're fertilizing and, and, and taking care of it. And, um, you know, there's a really uh, a good article on our website if you go to itreeservice.com, itreeservice.com, on how best to water your trees. There's some really good tips on, on uh, how to make sure that you're getting adequate water but not, not overdoing it. Uh, we find a lot of problems with irrigation this time of year. People overcompensate for what they think are the um, the higher water demands of their plants, and there are higher water demands in the summer. But don't overdo it. You know, too much of a good thing can be bad for trees, and water falls in that category. Don't put water on top of water on top of water. You'll suffocate the roots and cause problems. Uh, and the funny thing is. An overwatering tree can look like it needs water because it's yellowing. It, it, it have the same effect. Exactly. So it some people are like, "I'm not watering out. enough. Let me add some more." And it's yep. why is it yellowing? It's not enough water. Well, uh, the roots are, are soaking wet. <laughs> Generally, if a tree's un, you know it's it's water stressed, it'll start getting a little bit of a leaf a margin burn on the edges of the leaves, or they'll start to get crispy and dry. If your leaves are 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 still moist but they're turning yellow. That could be overwatering. When we see this yellowing, a general yellowing of the plant material, uh, that quite often is a overwatering situation. Tori wants to talk about her ash trees that are not uh, doing well but have been great for the last nine years. As I mentioned, we've got a number of text questions revolving around lemon trees, what kind of varieties, when do they uh fruit well. Uh, one gentleman in Casa Grande says he's got branches going everywhere and he wants to reshape them. When would be a good time to reshape the citrus tree? We'll talk about that along with all of our, uh, what are we in, July? July's talking uh, tree calendar and all the to-dos there. If you'd like to join the conversation, one 767 4348 That's one 888-ROSIE4U. Text questions, 411923. You can send an email to info at rosieonthehouse.com. The expert that's brave enough to say the word, deciduous. Talking Trees with John Eisenhower. Rosie on the house. We better get to a few of our monthly to-dos before we get uh, get through this hour. We will get to the callers on hold and the text, but you, we've got some talking points in our to-dos. Yeah, we want to be... Uh, this is our month to be trimming your California fan palms. Last month, you could start trimming your Mexican fan palms, this, the tall, skinny ones, but if you've got the fatter, uh, shorter uh, fan palms, the California fan palm, the, fi- the 15th of, fe- of January is kind of our target time to begin trimming those. If you started trimming those sooner, you'll have late emerging seed pods and you'll have to come back and trim them a second time. But we always tell people if you have a California fan palm, wait till the 15th of July and you'll be sure to get all the the seed pods taken out in one trimming. It's a pain in the (laughs) 
rear to have to get, jump back up there a second time and have to trim them again. It's almost double the work just to go up and pull a couple more uh, fronds out. So uh, also this time of year, people ask, you know, you know, is it safe to, uh, to trim? Somebody mentioned a, a, a citrus tree. Uh, you can do some minor grooming on, on any trees, even in the middle of the summer. If you're just doing a little bit of t- nipping and tucking to kind of improve the shape of, of your trees and shrubs. But as a rule, we try to back off on heavy pruning this time of year on anything. You know, your your mesquites and your, your more vigorous trees can take, of course, a little bit more, a little higher dosage of pruning this time of year, but just be careful. The last thing is, uh, note this month, is to adjust your irrigation timers. And we'll talk a little bit about that right now. What it, You know, you want to be um, giving your plants the water they, the, they need as, the, so, as the, uh, the air temperatures are rising and th- there's more evapotranspiration. The trees are, are losing water vapor as they're photosynthesizing. So they do have increased water needs this time of year. But how do you do that? And I would like to recommend that instead of increasing the number of days that you water your plants, I would encourage you to increase the length of time, the duration on each of your individual um, uh, watering cycles. The reason being is that it's going to drive the water a little bit deeper in the soil where the the soil is able to hold that water uh, better. So um, don't be adding another day of, of water watering to that cycle because the tendency is for the water, you don't want to, the, the ground to become uh, saturated and for you to be putting water on top of water and not allowing the soil profile to adequately dry out between watering. I know what I do, what I'm doing when I go home. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the point is, and as I just, just said, you want to be able to have the soil dry out adequately between watering. You do not want to be coming back to water again, uh, no matter how much water you're putting down, before the soil is, is dried out. If, the, if there's still water in the soil profile that's available to the tree roots or the plant roots, you don't need to be putting water down. And the trick is to know when that time is. Um, there's that really great pamphlet, Watering by Numbers, that has some illustrations that show you a probe. Um, and I know you can get them down at the U of A Extension Office. Um, but a probe will tell you if it goes in the ground really easy, it's moist. If it's hard, won't go in, it's usually dry. Um, you kind of got to work with the rocky soils, but it's a good tool to have. Yeah, you can look up Watering by the Numbers online. It's a great publication. It gives you kind of a step-by-step uh, method of kind of knowing uh, how to make sure you're watering your trees well. And the the problem with overwatering, and, and it's it's a really common problem, and and as I said earlier, it's often a response, to, an over-response to our uh, thinking that the trees need more water than they do. And what what happens when we water too much? Well, uh, once in a while, or usually what happens if you're overwatering, um, we get phytophthora. It's a disease that's uh, soil-borne, um, spreads with water, and seems to be more active when the temperatures are warm and Things are constantly wet, and it will shut down the vascular system of your tree. Starting from the roots going up, it infects the tree. Um, and it's it's a fungal pathogen. Yeah, and usually the symptoms look like the tree's wilting. The tree will look wilted. It'll look um, a little pale green. Um, and but what's really happening is the tree's not able to take up the water because the 
pathogen, the Phytophthora, is in the roots. And do you solve that by just shutting the water off and letting it dry out? That's that, the first that step. Helps. That That's helps. That's the first and step. And usually that might even work. A lot of times we apply a fungicide, a systemic fungicide. Well, this is what's happening is that the, the fungal pathogen is attacking the root system. As soon as the root system is compromised, then you have this wilting above, above ground. The leaves start lose their turgor. They lose their, their rigidity. They start to wilt. And people immediately think what? Water. The tree needs more water. <laughs> and they put water down, and the, fungal, the fungus is in the soil, and all the water does is accelerate the fungal activity uh, in the root system, and it could even further compromise the health of the tree. Seems like something I heard one time, uh, something like, as go the roots, so go the shoots. There you go. You've learned yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. Little grasshopper. <laughs> That's great. No, as go the roots, so go the shoots. You know, and if, if the roots are, are compromised, sometimes the Phytophthora has pretty much destroyed the root system. Correct. I mean, you can knock out the Phytophthora with the fungicide, and we also sprayed the bark um, with some aluminum-based or, or phosphite-based um, other fungicides that, that are systemic. But at, at a certain point, the vascular system is damaged beyond repair, and... Um, so the sooner yeah. you, you treat, yeah, the, the better. Yeah, the sooner you treat it, the better. I, yeah, I've seen trees where we've treated them, and they've gone on to grow and produce fruit and sure. live for several years. It's so. interesting, too, that Phytophthora and certain other fungal pathogens can be latent in the soil. They're there, but the conditions aren't conducive for their uh, hurting the plant. There's not excess water. Soil temperatures are not, are not high. Usually it's this time of year with elevated soil temperatures, presence of water, few monsoon, no one's changed their irrigation cycle. Then we get some monsoon rains, and they're continuing to, you know, water at the normal cycle. Um, and those, ad, that little bit of added water can set up the conditions for that fungus to get going, which is another point. If you we're get, we get into a regular uh, rhythm of, of afternoon uh, monsoon rains for several days or a week or so, go ahead and shut your, your timer off. Just shut, take your timer and just put it on the rain cycle um, because you just don't want to – just be sure to, you know, make yourself a reminder that once the the rains have, have passed and you've got another – the forecast is dry for another week or 10 days, then go ahead and throw that timer back on and get back onto your normal cycle. Well, we've got Tori online who has a question about an ash tree that's struggling. Maybe it's a watering issue. Let's find out. Tori, welcome to the broadcast. Good morning. How are you? Good. Good. Thank you. Uh, so my question is, is I have an ash tree that we planted about 10 years ago, and it was a 24-gallon tree. And about two years after we planted it, um, when we were getting the new leaves in, um, you know, in the springtime, I noticed we had aphids. Um, so I had attempted to treat the tree naturally with natural products. That did not work. So then I ended up going down to the local um, nursery and purchased um, a product there and then applied it to the tree that seemed to do it um, resolve the issue so we've had no problems all these years last year I believe or maybe it's been about a year and a half we had the tree completely trimmed back and um, actually it's been two years but when we got the new growth after the the winter time the leaves came in beautifully so now we're in the second year and i've noticed the leaves have not fully come in i have like clusters on the branches and 
which is strange. So the leaves are small and they're in like little ball clusters. And I've noticed that there's like kind of a web, like a spider web around these clusters. It's not on all of the tree. It's on about a third of the tree. I don't know if this is an aphid problem or if I have a bigger issue. Also, the trunk looks like it's starting to shed or peel. Well, the the peeling bark on the trunk is likely likely caused by sunburn, and ash are very susceptible to sunburn when they don't have foliage to protect them. And it sounds as if you have less foliage. Um, it almost is it more of a distorted small growth, or is it? You know, we actually lost her. I'm not sure what happened, uh, oh, okay. but she's not there. I... Okay. <coughs> okay. Well, I was going to say too that you know once. Um, she mentioned that the tree had been pruned at, at some point, and maybe during that pruning cycle, the, the tree got a little bit too much sun. There was some sunburn with the, the peeling bark. And then what happens is once that, that the cambium underneath the bark that's been damaged is destroyed, there's no uptake of water and nutrients through that part of the bark, and, and it can affect the, uh, those branches that that, 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 that that bark used to support. And then you have thinned, you know, thinning out, uh, the foliage is thinning out above, uh, letting more sunlight through, and you have this vicious cycle of sunburn and then thinning foliage, sunburn and then thinning foliage. And it's, it's not a good, good picture. You know, I'm, again, another For... reason to be very careful with pruning uh, smooth bark trees like ash because, as Sarah said, they're really uh, um, vulnerable to sunburn. And for smooth bark trees... You've got you know, your citrus, your ash, uh, even some of the oaks. I know there's products like Go Natural Paint that you can apply onto it, but you guys like trunk protection, which is burlap a little bit better than, than applying any kind of product. Yeah, if you have some plants that you think might be um, might have been over pruned and you're concerned about sunburn, we like to physically wrap them with burlap. You know, they, it, it does give you a little bit of filtered light through. Uh, but it does give you a physical protection. The the the, the tree paints are have very limited uh, ability to protect the bark beneath them. Um, they only l- lower that surface temperature about one or two degrees, so that it's not a um, it's not a, like a sunblock that will actually give you uh, protection from the sun. If you really need some uh, longer, you know, more permanent protection, wrap them with a shade cloth product. Or a burlap. They, they sell a burlap wrap you can purchase online. Also tree tape, too, because I have a problem with my ficus tree. It has sunburn damage. And, there you uh, go. It's going to town yeah. ever since I wrapped it. Yeah, some of the hard, hardware stores can you know provide a, a tree wrap product as well, a little tree tape. Let's get to Bruce next on the line at one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Bruce? Good morning. Yes, sir. I appreciate you taking my call. I've got a, a beautiful orange tree. It's about 15 feet tall and, and it's wide. The trunk is about 10 inches in diameter. I've had it for many years. It, it's always produced grapefruit. Uh, and it's this year, a couple of months ago, it started to, uh, started to lose leaves and seemed to be losing a lot of them. I water it about every three or four days, a nice deep, deep soaking, which is what I've done for its, you know, 10, 15 years of life. I've sprayed it with a citrus spray, insect spray, and it's, it's still losing the leaves and 
there are some leaves that have a, a little yellow in the middle, and the leaf kind of has a partial curve to it, coil to it. And I'm perplexed because it seems to be losing a lot of leaves, a lot more than I've ever had in the past. Um, well, generally, um, we have a, a kind of a, a standard on watering citrus, and really no more than once a week. Um, in the summer, once every week to 10 days in the summer, once every two to four weeks in the winter. So I, I think the frequent water might have something to do with it. Um, it you could have spider mites. Um, you could have um, you know, other things causing defoliation, but it might just be too much water. Yeah, I'd be concerned about one of those fungal pathogens we talked about, like uh, Texas root rot or the Phytophthora. Uh, once they start attacking the roots, then you start getting the, the leaf drop and the the, uh, the defoliation. But it, and there might be a, um, a um, might be a, a good time to call in an arborist in your in your local area. And they could call in somebody from Integrity Save a Tree at six zero two seven eight eight zero 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 five. Some grow nuts, some grow leaves. Either way you look at it, we're talking trees with John Eisenhower on Rosie on the House. And it's the summertime. It's the time of year we get those wonderful Palo Verde boar beetles that everyone loves. Yeah, if you've noticed those big black beetles that fly around your lights this time of year. They love to dive bomb you. Yep, they're the Palo Verde beetles, and they can grow up to be about three or four inches in length, and they're kind of creepy, prehistoric-looking things. They're actually pretty harmless. They do have some pretty strong mandibles. You know, you don't want to put your finger you know, in between those, but they, they're not very aggressive. They're not looking to hurt anybody. They're, they're just um, actually on a, on a search for a soulmate, and they're looking for a mate where they can go have some fun in the summer, and then they go back and they lay their eggs in the soil again. Uh, females return to these little holes around your trees. But they, it, the, the whole cycle starts with a larva, and it's, it's in the soil, and it eats primarily the roots of Palo Verde trees. They cause lots of problems all across the valley. They're part of our desert ecology, and they sometimes trees can live with them for 20 years because they're just nibbling at the roots far away from the tree. And you'll see the, their holes. They're, they're about the size of a quarter, usually pretty round, and there's no excess soil around the holes, and they're usually underneath your Palo Verde trees. They could be around some of your other trees too, but they pretty much— uh, love Palo Verdes. They're not. They're kind of uh, um, not too discriminating. If they don't have any Palo Verdes in the area, then they will feed on the roots of your other trees as well. But uh, ironwoods and mesquites, and we've even, even seen them in some pine trees. But uh, Palo Verde trees have these little. They they eventually after they pupate, uh, the adults emerge, and then they they fly around in June, usually June and July this time of year, and they mate. The females go back down in the holes again. And lay the eggs and start that cycle again. And they're uh, problematic because they can destroy uh, the root system of our Palo Verde trees. And sometimes you see some flagging and some evidence of some dieback in your Palo Verdes. And you're wondering, hey, what's the, what's the cause of that? You know, nothing's really changed in these mature Palo Verdes you have in your yard. You're wondering why a branch here and a branch there start dying. Well, it very well could be that the Palo Verde bores are destroying the roots and that you're seeing the above-ground symptoms. We've done some root collar excavations and seen, like, it looks like Swiss cheese. These Palo Verde 
spores are huge. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're three, four, five inches long and fat, and they just carve down and mostly seem to concentrate around the buttress roots and the major roots. But Yeah, they like, to, they like the, the uh, nice environment that we create by having some moisture in the soil. So your desert trees that are native-grown out in your yards are less susceptible to the, uh, the damage. The, the ones that we have in our, 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 our planted trees uh, with, that are watered nicely in our yards tend to be a more favorable environment for the, the boars. But, yeah, once they start growing, um, start feeding closer to those buttress roots, that's when the real damage can occur. Yeah. Yeah, they start doing some damage to the 6-inch diameter root and— you'll see a, an entire section of the tree collapse above ground. The difficulty in treating them, though, is that they have this long life cycle. They live for three to four years in the soil before they become an adult. Yeah, so you need to treat regularly. In fact, they, the, just due to the amount of, of, of uh, technical materials you'd have to put in the soil to control them over a long period of time, a two- or three-year cycle, uh, we, we hardly even recommend doing it, you know. And the the, uh, the the problem is, is you will have our trees blowing down. All of a sudden, they've done enough structural damage underground that the tree's no longer anchored well in the soil. All of a sudden, these big Palo Verde trees will blow over. And sure enough, we look down in the hole uh, on the blown-over tree, and we'll see a bunch of those uh, Palo Verde uh, borers, those big white grubs. Now, for those of you on hold, hang tight. We will get your calls answered off air during top of the hour news. Uh, but we've only got about a minute left here to wrap up our monthly Talking Trees broadcast. I wanted to give you uh, the final minute to uh, cover cover the highlights. Well, I just wanted to remind everybody we do have the uh, pruning uh, seminar tomorrow. If there's a seat available, if not, you can get into our the class at the end of August by going to. Uh, the Desert Botanical Gardens website at dbg.org. And uh, love to see you out there tomorrow. It's going to be a great class. And uh, we, uh, any, what um, else is going on this time of year? Just That's, just a lot of uh, watch your water out there more than anything. That's what we're looking for. If you're in need of a certified arborist for the Maricopa County area, it's itreeservice.com. If you're looking around the state, we actually have a couple uh, tree companies in prequal application at Rosie on the House uh, for Tucson and Southern Arizona and also Flagstaff, Northern Arizona. But you can go to ISA's website. Uh, what is that website? Findanarborist.org? Well, treesaregood.org. Treesaregood.org. And you'll find an arborist near you. 